Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Once again, it is Tuesday. It is the Out of Sight Podcast. It is the Summer Engagement Series. It is the Sixers Multiverse Podcast. It is a podcast where we go back in time, either kind of recently or in today's case, uh, about, I don't know, almost 30 years ago. But this time, we're going to the year 1993. And unfortunately, my co-host, my regular co-host, Dave Early, is unavailable. He is on vacation, having fun with family. But uh, I have someone that has transported to this universe to step in for David as we venture into another universe. It's Jazz Kang, who I've had on the podcast maybe once or twice. And I always feel bad that I can't have him on more often. But Jazz, how you doing? I'm good. I think it's good that you don't have me often too much, uh, <laughs> too often, because I think people will get sick of hearing my voice. So it's uh, it's it's not a, it's not a bad thing. You would think people are tired of hearing Dave at this point also, but uh, apparently they kind of like our pairing. So we're going to have to work on something for full time next season. Hey, it is. A, it is a good pairing. It is a good pairing. So uh, I, I think people are, are fans of that. But yeah, <laughs> when it comes to me, yeah, you guys keep doing your thing and, and, and leave me out as much as possible. I think I think the people appreciate that. OK, that's fine. <laughs> I, you're you're in there with Paul all the time. So, you know what? People get their feel with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got that. You got that right. Now, when it comes to you, how how do you stand when it comes to like past Sixers history, like before uh, 2000, we'll say before the Iverson era? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up I grew up a NBA fan too. So I mean, I was born I was born in in the early '80s. So for me, I mean, I've I've been well versed in the NBA for for a long time. I, I loved watching it. I kind of knew knew a lot about the the big name teams as well. Um, you know, from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference. So for me, uh, pretty well versed in in what's happened with with not only the Sixers history, but uh, but a lot of the Eastern Conference teams as well. Okay, so just so folks know, Jazz is uh, stamped and bona fide for this podcast. He has my personal recommendation. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to hear any nonsense in the menchies when this podcast comes out tomorrow. Uh, let's start with the state of the team going into the 93 draft, like we always do. They were 26 and 56 between two head coaches, Doug Moe and Fred Carter. And... Doug Moe, I believe, was the one that was fired midseason, and Fred Carter kind of took over. Jim Lynham was the general manager, and it was the first year after the Charles Barkley trade. Personally, I was only 13 years old at the time, and I was still kind of forming my basketball knowledge, my basketball fandom. 
but I really did like Barkley in a Sixers uniform, especially those really weird uh, red, white, and blue all over the place jerseys. It was kind of mm-hmm. ridiculous. I didn't own one, thank God, because I feel like I would have got laughed at at school. But after that, that the, after the Barkley trade, there was almost no hope in this town because they didn't have a franchise player. The pieces they got back for Barkley were kind of not good. It, it it's it goes down as one of the worst trades in Sixers history, if not NBA history. So if you were a Sixers fan going into the 93 draft and the 93 offseason, like how would you have felt after a season like that with so much changeover and just no real like, oh my God, this is gonna be like dark era of the Sixers franchise. Well, you got you got to look back at it with the ownership, right? Like Harold Katz was was the owner of the, of the team, and and if you look at him getting involved in a lot of the day to day decisions, the personnel decisions, that, that never turns out well. You know right. what I mean? You look at you look at you look at the current day where you got a team like the Warriors. You remember before they had Joe Lacob as the as the primary owner, they weren't a very good franchise, right? That's right. And now he's come along and basically changed the way they do things, changed the quote unquote culture of the organization with putting the money up, making sure the players are treated well, doesn't give a crap. I mean, obviously he's rich enough, but doesn't give a crap about the luxury tax. Right. So I think you look back at, at with Harold Katz with, with, with Charles Barkley, it was, it was something that had ran its course. Now, again, a good owner would look at Charles Barkley and say, well, we got one of the best players, you know, of all time, really. And maybe a top 20, 25 guy of all time on our, on our roster. Let's not, let's not screw this up because he's also, as we know now, um, been very marketable throughout his post career too. So I think looking at at the way things had had broken down there, I would have I would have been hopeless too because if the owner is like that and the owner is unable to provide stability and provide resources to the organization, chances are the team that you root for is not going to be very good at all. And you can say that about any kind, any sport with ownership, right? You can say that about baseball, basketball, football, hockey, whatever. If the owner is a little too hands on, that's it's fine if he has like good basketball knowledge. But for example, my favorite comparison is like Jerry Jones at the for the Dallas Cowboys. Like, Uh I honestly don't think he really knows how to build a football team. He's just out here playing fantasy like the the Cowboys on paper always look good. But I when you put the pieces together, it doesn't work. So the fact that Harold Katz is out here. And saying, okay, we need to do this Barkley trade. We need to get him out of here. I don't know if this is the right fit. Like, I don't understand what he was thinking at the time. And it just goes to speak to, hey, you need to have high caliber, high IQ basketball people in these kinds of general manager positions or president of basketball operations positions. Oh, for sure. And and you look at, I mean, like, like you just look at what the team was like and the organization was like at the time, obviously you had the, the, the early eighties with Dr. J and, and, you know, making the finals a few times and winning that championship in 83. So you're, you're hopeful then. And then we saw what happened through that other stretch with, with, with cats, you know, kind of, kind of calling the shots, but I think that's where it's, um, it's a tough thing, man. And, and, you know, we've seen that now with, with the new Sixers ownership where, okay, you see, they seem like they're, they're dedicated. They seem like they're committed to spending the resources they have Daryl Morey. And they seem like they're kind of backing off on him and saying, Hey, do your thing, get the players you want. Let's try and go out and, and, and win a chip. And I think that's where 
things turn out good. But you look back at that at Barkley deal in '92. I mean, Jeff Hornacek was a nice player. He was all right. Yeah, he was he was a super not a superstar, but a very good a good NBA player. I want to say very good. Uh, Andrew Lang, Tim Perry, obviously not nothing to remember. But I think if you look back at it, there were options that the Sixers could have tried to make that work. They didn't necessarily have to deal him at that time. And obviously for something as un- underwhelming as that, like if, if the Brooklyn Nets, who obviously aren't a huge fan base and, and, and you know, have this uh, major uh, footprint, but if they traded Kevin Durant for that type of package, I think they'd burn down the Barclays Center. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. And even like going back to what you're saying, like with, with Jerry Jones, right? Jerry Jones loves to be in the limelight, loves to have the cameras in front of him, loves to talk. Loves to obviously he's like a de facto general manager there, and we've seen the results. Sure, they won those Super Bowls, those three Super Bowls in the mid '90s, but since then it's been crickets. And you look at obviously the the foundation that Jimmy Johnson had laid there. Obviously, Barry Switzer got got to take advantage of of that too. But looking looking at at that, since then they've never been able to get it right. Because, and I I'm a firm believer in this too, Adio, is that if you're an owner, own the team, run the business side of it. Obviously, yes. you have the resources because that's what you're good at. But hire the right guys, as you mentioned, like a director of player personnel. Hire the right GM. Make sure you're having a coach in place. Hire the right trainers. All these little things have to kind of form and work out in order to not only be a playoff team, but be a championship-level team and sustain that success, which, again, like you look at, uh, I'm using the Warriors because they're they're kind of the, the poster child now for the last decade of how good they've been. But even as Steph and Clay and Draymond start aging out, they're going to have guys like Jordan Poole coming up. Yeah, they, they, they stunk for a couple of years there, but they got Jonathan Kaminga. They got Moses Moody. Those are some shrewd moves made by Bob Myers to have those assets when Durant left. So I think you want to have those pieces in place where you're not going to be a title contender every year, but you want to make sure that you are at least sustaining excellence. And I think that's what makes the difference between a good franchise in the professional sports world and a bad one. Now, this was the starting five going into the 93 season, and this was game one. So, um, Percy Hawkins, Hornacek, Armin Gilliam, Clarence Witherspoon, who I'll touch on in a second, and Andrew Lang with, like, no real bench to speak of. And as it turns out, rookie Spoon was probably a little bit better than people thought. He averaged almost 16 points a game, seven rebounds a game, and looking at that scenario definitely screamed like good stats on a bad team guy but not maybe not necessarily a franchise guy that's the kind of sense that i got from spoon's rookie year i don't know if you kind of agree with that yeah i i think witherspoon i mean you could tell he put up numbers uh, obviously not not a very good sixers team he was still there uh in iverson's iverson's first year but looking at uh, his numbers, he was a capable NBA guy, but I, I'm with you too. I mean, I, I think we've talked about this once in the podcast before, but you look at, at, at Mike James from the Toronto Raptors. I think they yeah. were like a 22 win team and he averaged 20 points, parlayed that into a big contract with the Timberwolves and then stunk when he got there. So yeah, I'm with <laughs> you. I, I think that, you know, he was a good, good stats on a, on a bad team guy. Um, obviously I like Daniel Barrows. So I, I thought he had a very nice career, a good shooter, um, good, good guard, but yeah, Witherspoon wasn't, wasn't, terrible but on a championship team is he even a starter I, I, I don't know about that maybe as a good bench guy but he's one of those players that didn't exactly scream um potential superstar because he's putting up 15 and 18 points a game his first few years in the league they continued on with fred carter as head coach even though he had only amassed it was like a 7 and 19 record 
part of that probably roster, but well, not probably mostly roster, but I mean, according to basketball reference, they were ninth in pace. If that counts for anything back in the nineties, uh, the, the 93 draft came around and everything that I've been reading, Harold Katz and Jim Lynham really wanted Sean Bradley. And mm-hmm. that always, always makes me shudder because I'm like, okay, they really want this guy. First of all, why? Second of all, if they really want this particular player, is there any point to really try to talk him out of it? Like if you're if you're a head coach and you're just like, okay, you really want Sean Br- All right, fine. I'll just that that's who you want. I'm not even gonna try to talk you out of it, and then we'll just succeed or fail, and it's on you guys. But that's never that's never how it works because it's always the coach that gets fired. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you're right, and uh, you know you've seen this happen so many times. And again, I, I think a good owner and a good general manager would be adaptable, right? Try and try and figure out. Okay, we have our eyes on this guy. Unless obviously, like everybody knew that your Chris Weber was going to go number one. Yeah, just like there's certain years where we know guys like Zion Williamson are going to go number one. Um, I don't, I'm not comparing Weber to, to LeBron James, but I'm saying those are like the guaranteed, you know, that guy is going to go first overall guaranteed and, bona fide. Don't even yeah, put him on your track. Like, board. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. You don't even need to, but then I think the rest of the board should be, okay. You have your, you have your board laid out that these, these are our best players available. We can go with it, but you're looking at that. Yeah. Like you mentioned I me, mean, Bradley didn't play for two seasons, right? Before yep. he, before he, uh, he was at BYU, took a two year, um, a mission basically that he was, he was out in, I think it was Australia or England, one of the two places and um, you know, doing his, his thing. And, and that's okay, but the guy's not working out playing basketball and he's not just this, he's not a naturally gifted athlete who might've been able to skip a workouts for a month and get back on track, you know, within a couple of weeks of training, he just didn't have it. And I think that when you, when you look at it, they looked at him as if he was going to be the face of the franchise. He was right. going to be the savior in, in Philly with the, with the Sixers. And clearly that was not a good decision. I, I wonder if they drafted him to be a member of the 76ers just because he was in fact, seven foot six. I always wonder if that was part of it. <laughs> Of course, of course, the number, the number, uh, you know, the the matching up like that. Maybe they thought they can get cute with their marketing or something. Oh my like, god! Whatever the hell it was, but uh, yeah, we know that even if that was the case, that uh, cats and and the linemen were not very good at their jobs. Now, granted, the Golden State Warriors made a king's ransom trade for the number one pick and Chris Webber. They gave up the number three pick and like multiple first round picks, which. If you don't know the history of what those picks turned into, seriously, Google that, look it up. It's hilarious. It is hilarious what those picks turned into. But Weber going number one and Sixers sitting there at two, they take Bradley. And I remember at the time, like going to school the next day and just hearing people talk like, I don't know why we took this guy. Yeah, he's really tall, but can he really play like you can you can be tall and not be good in basketball i've seen it happen you, you know like it happens in, it happens in rec ball all the time yeah at, yeah no yeah at, at the time could that have, at the, i don't know would you have done that at number 2 Oh, I think okay. Looking, looking back. Are, are you the, are you the type of guy that would look that would have looked Harold Katz? In the, okay, Jazz, you're the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers in the '93 uh-huh. draft. Harold Katz and Jim Lynham come to you and they're like, "Look, we really want Sean Bradley. We're taking Sean Bradley." 
Are you the kind of person that says, okay, wait a second, can we at least formulate a tier list so I can at least produce you some numbers so that like you can see where uh, different people can fit in different positions on this team? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, looking back at it now, but you got to remember a deal back in the day at that time, the, you know, the, 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 the phrase would have been, you can't teach seven, six, you can't teach height. You know, you've heard that. I so hate that phrase. So many. And, I hate and, it. and the yeah, but the nineties, the deal, you got to remember the, the, the centers were amazing. I mean, how many Hall of oh, Famers right. have there, right? You got David Robinson, you got Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, obviously Shaq came up. Uh, drafted in 92 so you're looking at this like okay you need a big man you need a center in order to compete with the heavyweights in the nba okay. so i get i get the thinking behind <laughs> wanted to take him but again just looking at him and looking at the fact that like dude at the time i mean i, I was still a young kid myself but looking at it back like in, in hindsight why the hell would you take a guy who hasn't played in two years? You know yeah, what I mean? that, that's the I big thing was, for me. Yeah, it's like what what were you what were you thinking at that time that you're taking a 21 year old kid who hasn't played basketball, literally touched the friggin' ball, and he's in England of all places. It's not like he's in like like a Lithuania or somewhere where they you know the basketball is kind of uh, is is key. It's Serbia, like they have these big basketball cultures that people care. You could have got to a gym like in England and nobody cares about basketball. I'm sure they have over the last, you know, 10, 15 years with the marketing, but it was just to me, it's the lack of depth of the thinking that cats showed. It's a lack of depth of thinking that Lynham showed that would have been frustrating to me at that point. Cause I'm with you too. I would have woke up the next day and been like, why the hell did they take this guy? There, there's no reason to take him. Seven, six, two forty. Sure. He's got the height board, but he doesn't, he didn't really have, I'm looking back at like old rookie pictures of this guy. Like, yeah. he did not exactly have a frame built for banging down low with the Elijahans and the Ewings and the Shacks, and not even the Bill Cartwrights at the time. Oh no, those guys would have those guys would have swallowed him up whole. You know what I mean? Like, if you if you look at him now at 2:45, like, and that's the thing too, because like when we talked about doing this podcast, I look back at like I look at now, I compared it to obviously not the same height, but you look at Chad Holmgren, right? Yeah, Chad Holmgren is is very slender. Um, probably going to stay that way. Like we've seen Kevin Durant stay roughly the same, you know, size. He hasn't put on a lot of girth since he joined the league. Obviously, though, that Kevin Durant is an exception for that. But even like Chet, you can look at his frame and be like, yeah, he's probably not going to put on too much weight. I'm sure he'll add some size and strength as he goes along. But you look at Bradley, like he had the width because he looked a little bit more filled out as he got as he got older you know what i mean as he played in the league especially with the mavericks there he did um, look a little bigger with the mavericks i will say that he did like i, I mean again he wasn't huge but he was huge no bigger. yeah but he put on some size but i again you look at the work ethic you look at what the option would have been for him and the opportunity and he clearly like you look back at like scott williams one of his former teammates there he played with the bulls after he said that he's like the guy just didn't want to put the work in and there's nothing he wasn't a good guy are, are a nice, a nice person, you know what I mean? And a good teammate. But the fact is, if he, he didn't put the work in, in England, you, if you just would have maybe had a meeting with him in person and you would have been able to see that or hold a workout. I mean, again, technology is a lot different now than it was. Very true. Then. But at the same time, it's like, if you just would have seen this guy and maybe said, okay, he hasn't played basketball in two years. He's been spending time in England. He's dedicated to his Mormon mission. Maybe let's stay away from that. And again, um, perhaps they take, I'm not going to get into Penny Hardaway. I'm sure we'll get really deep into that, but you know, you could have taken Jamal Mashburn. You could have traded the pick. You had so many yeah. other options there um, that you could have done with that selection. And obviously you look at it now in hindsight that Lynham and Harold Katz made the wrong decision. 
I mean, Bradley's numbers weren't terrible his rookie year, but 10 points a game, six rebounds, three blocks. So, like, the the, the block numbers were there, which is, I'm assuming, why he looked so attractive. But then the 40% from the field, when you're 7'6", I'm sorry, if your field goal percentage isn't in, like, the 60s, like, I'm pretty sure George Murison had, like, a 60% field goal percentage. Like uh, Boban was up there in field goal percentage. He was close to 71 year. I can't, oh, I yeah. can't remember. Oh yeah. And then year two, he had the 82 games he started 59 of them, but the numbers didn't really translate to getting the increased workload. And then he was traded in his third year to uh, the New Jersey Nets along with Greg Graham and Tim Perry for Derek Coleman. I believe that was his second stint in Philadelphia, Sean Higgins and Rex Walters. Uh, shout out to Rex Walters on Twitter if he's listening. But all of that, meanwhile, Penny is out here flourishing in Orlando and Jamal Mashburn turned into like this potential franchise scorer in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah, that that's the frustrating part, man. I mean, looking back at it, you you look at the opportunity they could have had to to get one of those guys and set the foundation. Now, here's the key though, idea. I will ask you this. All right. Let's let's say they do take penny hardaway right okay uh maybe maybe they win uh you know 35 games his rookie year but i mean obviously he, he reinvigorates the franchise he gets the fan base going because penny hardaway was a freak his injuries injuries cost him a, a great and potential hall of fame career penny but, at least makes you it look interesting oh penny makes you relevant right penny absolutely makes you relevant he's gonna have posters he would have been there would have been sixers games on nbc as he continued throughout his career yeah on nbc back then they would have been nationally televised and that wasn't like it is now that you get all 82 games back then you might see you know on a national basis or even on a local basis you might only see 50 games you know what i mean but right um looking back at it see here's the here's the trade-off let's say you do take penny in in 93 then you go through two seasons with him do they still get iverson in 96 hold that hold that thought okay. hold that we're gonna we'll get to that but it before we do that because i feel like that you're you're ready to go to the alternate universe so we need to get into the capsule so that we can safely travel to a, a different universe because i don't want any you know <laughs> i don't want your molecular structure to get uh <laughs> split in half as we travel so let's take a quick commercial break we'll uh say hi to some of the sponsors here on the liberty ballers podcast network we'll be back from an alternate universe and we'll talk about hardaway and iverson and all that we're get we'll get to it i swear to god we will but back in a second it is the out of sight podcast special summer engagement series it is the citrus multiverse podcast be right back after a message from these brief words Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. We have exited the capsule. We're in a different universe. I'm here with Jazz Kang. He's joining me on the pod because uh, Dave is in his own alternate universe. And Jazz started getting into it. So we'll just start right now. Uh, I don't want to touch on Iverson just yet, but what I will okay. say, uh, if the Sixers took Hardaway with the second pick, then the lineup is, I'm guessing, Hardaway, Hornacek, Spoon, Warren Kidd, and Moses, old Moses, but they also had Manute Bowl on the team. So at mm-hmm. the very least, you could put two people together and have a kind of center. With the bench, you have Dana Barrows, as you mentioned, Tim Perry, and Johnny Dawkins. And Dawkins was not too bad as a bench score. Like, I would have taken that. I, I think Hardaway and Spoon would definitely be a nice pair to build with. And you were talking about before, they might not go to the playoffs or anything like that, but they're relevant with those two guys. I still think the Sixers may have a shot to draft Stackhouse in 95 meaning the Sixers, quote-unquote, big three of 95 would have been Hardaway, Stackhouse, and Spoon. That's something. That's something to start. But, again, I mean, looking back at – you look at the at the Sixers' picks at that time, I, they, they blew their 94 pick, ended up taking Sharon Wright. He was oh, freaking God. terrible. Um, you know what I mean? And then I, I always liked Jerry Stackhouse's game. I thought he was obviously a very, very good player. Um, liked what he did at North Carolina. But yeah, you have a base. You have a base started there. But how good is that base? Like, do you have enough? Do you think in order to to contend for? Because like we said, Clarence Weatherspoon, good player. Um, not exactly. I would look at as a pillar that you're like, wow, we have this guy on our roster. We can build around him. Whereas it would be the opposite with uh, with a Penny Hardaway, and then you have Jerry Stackhouse maybe as a second fiddle. So I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think the team still. And you look back at it. Um, you know how the Sixers did what they win like 25 24 games and then 18 in in uh 95 yeah 96 they either they got Iverson so uh, again they had some they would have had some potential there but I don't know how much you're trusting that ownership and that general manager group that uh basically their executives to make the right decisions to surround those guys with the right players in order to maybe change things around going forward I also still believe that, I mean, Spoon as a third fiddle to Hardaway and Stackhouse, I think that works, but still don't really have a big man to contend with the Ewings and the Shacks at the time. Mm. So that may have severely hurt their playoff chances. Um, now, you, you kind of hinted to it. Uh, the big question, does drafting Hardaway in 93 cost the Sixers the shot to draft Iverson in 96? With everything, with everything that you just laid out, with the ownership not maybe not being able to put the right players around them and get the coach and the organizational structure and the culture and all like that, I'm not a thousand percent sure the Sixers don't have the chance to draft him in '96. Really, you don't think I, so? I, I I think there's still a legitimate shot if you know. Let Let's say that the team really preferred Iverson over Hardaway maybe they trade Hardaway and future assets see I'm doing I'm doing the same hinky thing in the 90s which doesn't always work out the way I think it will but I mean with 
real real quick with Hardaway Spoon and Stack, I think the Sixers maybe compete for a playoff spot in '95 if the free agency market pans out right. And that being the case, yes, totally cost them Iverson in '96, and that's where you get the severe franchise turnaround. I don't think this group wins a title without some real creative free agency because you know late 90s you're talking about jordan you're talking about those knicks teams you're talking about those pacer teams talking about uh you know the the charlotte hornets teams with morning and larry johnson just yeah it's it's rough it's tough to think about oh for sure but uh, again man i mean you look at it I think those guys that you you mentioned in terms of Hardaway, Hardaway was a game changer, right? Yeah, um, just a, an amazing basketball player would have came in and won the hearts of everybody in Philly. You know what I mean? Right away, just the way he played, his game, his style, kind of like and the then, Markel Fultz of the early of the mid nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't think we want to go there, right? But uh, I, I'll continue oh, to go there. I, that's fine. I don't okay. care. <laughs> okay, why? Well, okay, let me tell. Let me see. What are the parallels between Fultz and uh, and and Hardaway? Um, just just what you said. Like the the work. Ethic. <laughs> like I feel like I feel like fans would really be drawn to him. Just like, listen, the kid is in here. He's out here working. Maybe he's not perfect, but damn it, he's ours. You know that kind of thing. He's trying. Yeah. Okay, I get you. I, he's I meant trying on the court. Trying uh, on the court, I mean, I mean, to me, Penny was, yeah, Penny was as as I mentioned, uh, I w- well on his way to a Hall of Fame career. But I think, I think even then, the Sixers would have been in a situation that they would have had the the picks and the the talent just with that guy with Penny alone that they would have been able to. Um, re- it would have ruined their their chances at getting the number one overall pick is, is what I'm looking at it. Like from that perspective. Right. So again, you look at it, the, the, the 94, 95 year, um, the, the, the Sixers won 24 games. And then you look at it the year after that, where I think the Grizzlies and the, uh, had the worst record, Vancouver Grizzlies at the time. Yeah. Uh, were the worst record in the league, the Raptors, but something with the expansion rules that they weren't able to, they weren't able to have the number one pick, which allowed, which allowed, the Sixers to win the draft coming off an 18 win season or win the draft lottery part of me. So when you have that again, maybe they, they win 29, 30 games with, with Hardaway there. So you, you leapfrog teams like uh, Dallas and, and Minnesota in terms of the uh, draft lottery. And uh-huh. of course the Bucks weren't very good back then either. Uh, but again, you look at that 96 draft, maybe they don't get the 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 number one overall pick and i think everybody would would trade it in for the fact that what iverson meant and is to the city of 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 philly so you would have had let's say you don't get iverson but maybe you get a guy like ray allen maybe you get a sharif abdurrahim a stefan marbury maybe the the management at the time goes screw it you know what kobe bryant played so there's so many yeah there's so many little things you could have looked at steve nash was it was you know obviously two-time mvp future hall of famer like you could have had a base of Peja stoyakovich is back. there yeah Peja stoyakovich like antoine walker had a good career so all these guys from that draft, the 96 is, is historically looked back as one of the greatest drafts of all time, if not the greatest, just because of the sheer talent level that was produced from that class. And if you look at it, if you get uh, Hardaway in, in 93, you know, maybe you make a trade, maybe you, you, you don't screw things up in 94 with Sharon Wright, but you get uh, Stackhouse in 95 and things break your way still. And instead of Iverson, you get a forward, you get another guard. Like that just changes everything. You know you, what I you mean? Get, you get maybe somebody like a Jermaine O'Neal who Portland mm-hmm. took at 17 that year. Yeah. 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 And there's so many, there's so many good, there were so many good, like Sharif Abdurrahim, 
played on crappy teams his whole career. He's not a bad second or third option on a very good team, right? You look back at the numbers he put up, he wouldn't have been a bad option. Again, you could have had Ray Allen running alongside Penny Hardaway, right? It's Jerry Stackhouse at the three. Harry oh, my God. You could have bought in Kobe Bryant and let him get his seasoning as a rookie in year one, potentially then looked at him and been like, wow, this guy's going to be great. We could trade Stackhouse and get a forward or get a center. You know what I mean? Like there were so many different things that go back through. And it's like these little domino effects that each year the organization, one decision can either set you up or screw you up for the, for the near future. And I think that that's what looking back at that 93 selection of Sean Bradley, uh, my mind goes to when, when looking at what could have been for the Sixers going forward. See, and that's why I love looking back and that's why I'm enjoying this podcast so much like this series, because looking back, I'm just thinking now just how crazy the town would have been if like our backcourt was Penny and Kobe Ooh. with Ooh. Uh, if you're I guess if you're trading Stackhouse to put Kobe there, then maybe you have like a spoon coming off the bench where his game probably suits to him feasting on second tier, uh, second tier players or bench scores. You get somebody, you, you trade Stackhouse for like that big man, whoever it may be. I, I names escape me right now, but like C- Kobe and Penny is def that is relevant. That is marketable. That is something that is attractive to other free agents. Like I, I agree with you like that. The, the 93 and 94 drafts, like those were two epic, epic screw ups in the mid 90s. Oh, 100 percent. And, and and like you said, like I you always look back at this and you look at like the chain reaction of what could have been and, and what would have happened and, and could have happened. I mean, even look back at 97 where they draft Keith Van Horn, ship him off Im- immediately to the Nets. And don't you know, Tim Thomas, I, I liked his game, but again, not great. Uh, Jim Jackson, very decent NBA player hung around for 14 years. Um, Eric Montross uh, wouldn't have had to get him because he would have had fucking Sean Bradley. You know what I mean? So there's they so only, many, they only little- took Keith, they only took Keith, Van- <laughs> they only wanted Tim Thomas back. Cause he went to Villanova. That was the only yeah. reason they made that trade. Yeah. There's only, and so again, like you look at what the ownership and general manager, like, like I said, the executive team was thinking at this point, you're like, yeah, no wonder why they stunk for that long time. They lucked out to get Iverson. He obviously, is a super duper star changed the the trajectory of that franchise won an MVP took him to a finals in in 2001 so for me I I look at it like what could have been with that team yeah you might have to take uh Iverson off the board let's say and again in our in our multiverse that we're in right now the alternate universe you got Penny Hardaway who never gets hurt you might have Jerry Stackhouse who could turn into a trade chip you could have Kobe Bryant obviously playing at Laura Marion there in in, in high school but you could things would have turned out so much different now I got to ask you this, Adil. I'll put sure. you on the spot a little bit. Let's uh, say they do because I love Penny. it when people do that to me. Okay, well, yeah, well, let's say let's say they do take Penny, right? Let's okay. say that they get Penny. They have Jerry Stackhouse. Um, whatever happens in '96, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and say they get Kobe or not because obviously, looking back, Jerry West had the foresight to be like, "That's the guy we're going to go for at, at number 13." But um, or you know, getting the, the trade from the Hornets and, and just sending over Vladi Divac. So obviously, give him credit for that. But when you look at it, I really don't like where this is going. No, no. <laughs> where do you? Okay, with let's just say they don't take Iverson. Do you think the Sixers make an NBA Finals? Do you think in the next four or five years after that? Do you think that? Um, you know, they're in the national spotlight for an extended period like they were with AI on the roster? So saying they don't get Iverson in 96, do I think they compete for a championship? But they before? got Penny still. They had they, sad Penny. 
They still have Penny, but they don't have Kobe. Yeah. Uh, probably not, unless the 97, 98 drafts really break their way. Like, let's say that the six, like Penny's injuries really start to take hold and the Sixers get the number one pick in 97, which is, you know, uh, the greatest power forward of all time, Mr. Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Like that's something. And then if it's Penny and Duncan, then maybe they come oh, back. God. Maybe they come back and here's something. Here's something. Maybe they come back and they have the foresight and they have like a top 10 pick. Maybe they take a shot with uh, Dirk Nowitzki or maybe they maybe they don't screw up the Paul Pierce pick. Yeah. I, yeah. Again, that, there, I, I, again, they, that's what I mean. There's so many questions. Cause Paul Pierce fell all the way to 10, which he shouldn't have. He should have been a lot higher than that. Larry, obviously looking, the, uh, Paul Pierce and Larry Hughes haunt this town to this day. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see why. And that's what I mean. There's so many little things here that man, if they made the right decisions, that that team would have been stacked for for years to come. I don't know if they'd be able to keep everybody. You know what I mean? Just given the the reality of the economics of of the league at the time. But man, those guys are uh, again that that looking back at what the original point of this podcast was a '93 draft. It's like yeah, there was a lot of dominoes that that fell after that 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 we unfortunately aren't going to be able to answer. But if the Sixers did things right at that time, oof, they would have been a juggernaut for post post Jordan era Bulls. Which was ninety eight when they won their last title. Yeah, uh, they definitely would have been. They definitely would have been right there for the early two thousands. So I'm thinking of Penny, Paul Pierce, and Tim Duncan, and I'm starting to cry, which means we need to get back in the <laughs> capsule and head back to reality here. But Jazz, this was an amazing look back at Sixers history. I enjoyed having you on the podcast. I know that you prefer to not have your voice broadcast almost every week, like multiple times a week. But at the very least, I should at least Dave and I should at least try to have you on the pod next season, at least once a month. Of course. Of course. Anytime you guys want me on. I love, hey, man, I love working with y'all. It's, it's been fun. And we're, we're, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, too. So uh, anytime you want to do like a roundtable talk, always, always down to do that for sure. Take care, Jazz. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of the Sixers offseason. The Sixers, the next portion of Summer League should be gearing up the Salt Lake City version, I believe. No, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City's wrapped up now. So they'll be they'll be getting together for for camp, I believe. uh, Oh, camp. I'm sorry. Yeah, camp. And I think that having an NBA calendar is all out because I keep jaunting over to all these different universes. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't blame you, man. Your mind's all getting scrambled. But no, Damn we got, <laughs> I think we'll be uh, I think we're looking at from what I'm hearing, uh, likely we'll be training camp in late September in 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 Philly and in, in, in Camden at the uh, at the um, at the practice facility. So I don't think we'll have too much going on. But I wouldn't be surprised to deal. They still have three and a half million dollars under the apron. They could make a move They might not. But again, I wouldn't be surprised to see Daryl Morey do something maybe closer to camp. So again, it's not really the offseason. And obviously we have the Kevin Durant stuff going on, which affects um, immediately affects the Sixers as a division rival. Now the Celtics are a team uh, who might be involved in that. And I did a podcast with Adam Taylor of Celtics blog um, on Monday that you can you could listen to as well, getting his thoughts on how that would work between Jalen Brown, KD swap. So not really the offseason, and it's great for us because it gives us more things to talk about. But I love this series. I love the job that you've done with the first couple of episodes. So thank I, you I'm so glad much. I got a chance to uh, got, glad I got to come on and chat with, with you as well. Always appreciate you having you on in, in any context. I'll look I look forward to talking to you more uh, this season. Uh, you the three of us, you, me, and Dave. We gotta we gotta get this. We gotta get together. We gotta hook up. You know. Anytime. Let's do it, man.
I'll talk to you soon, Jazz. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.